During this time of limited travel, increased isolation, and stressful media, we want to make the most of this time right here at home. Let us be your escape from life's monotony. Allow yourself to indulge in your wildest travel fantasies and discover the constant beauty of this ever-changing world with the Wanderlusting Wives podcast. On today's episode, bonjour et bienvenue à the sights, culture, and food of France with a very special guest. Welcome to the Wonderlusting Wives podcast. We are your navigators, Allison and Regan. And today we'll be diving into the culture and history of France. So we're jumping back to Europe for another episode here. And we have a very special guest who you will get to meet very shortly. But first, we're going to head off with our icebreaker, as always. So today's question is, who is your favorite author? Ellie, you want to give us your answer? Yes. So as you know from previous episodes, I am reading the Hunger Games series again, but it's not my favorite author. My favorite author is John Green. Um, If you've read Paper Towns or The Fault in Our Stars, he is the author of those fabulous books and many others, but those are probably my top two favorite books of his. Um, How about you, Regan? Yeah, I, so I just recently became a quote unquote reader again. And most recently I read Gone Girl by Jillian Flynn and it was, it blew my mind. Like I also had nightmares, but I kind of liked that about it. And I just think she's a brilliant writer and I just love the like thriller fiction genre generally. So um, I think I'd have to go with her at this moment in time. Um, So then, as I mentioned, we have a special guest, and I would love to get his answer on this because he was my history teacher in high school, and I know he has such knowledge to share with us. So, Todd Bensley, who is your favorite author? Uh, Stephen Levitt. He's the author of Freakonomics. Um, I just love that he uh, gives me an opportunity to think about things in new and, and interesting ways, and uh, I would recommend Freakonomics and any of his other books uh, to the listeners out there. It just, especially if you're looking for a new way to look at old things, uh, it's definitely a good read. Sounds good. That kind of gives us a good little glimpse into more about Todd, which is weird to call him Todd since he's my dad. Um, so, <laughs> so today we have Todd Bensley, as Regan has already stated, um, and he was born and raised in Medina, New York as well um, as Reed and I. So um, he is has an amazing family that I just so happen to be a part of. Um, <laughs> and he loves to travel and experience new things. He loves all things history, especially local history. Um, and then when his family doesn't know where he is, we can usually find him at Boxwood Cemetery in Medina. Um, and he has a passion to preserve the cemetery and the stories of the people buried there. He actually has a book all about it. So if you want more information on that, we would be happy to share his book details with you. And he is a U.S. history teacher, like Regan has stated. He was a teacher for both of us. Um, He teaches U.S. history, government and economics, and he works at our local public school. And some fun facts about him. He has been to 16 countries and 39 states. Some of them he's been to multiple times. He hiked 27 of the 46 high peaks in the Adirondacks, and he loves to read. So welcome, Todd. Thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk about uh, France and all things travel. I've really enjoyed your podcast uh, series so far. 
So first question here, what made you choose to go to France and what was your planning process like for your trip? Uh, so I had set a goal for myself um, to go to Europe by the time I was 40. So I had to find a way to fulfill that goal, that bucket list. And I, it was going to be too expensive for my whole family to go, but I couldn't leave them home. I can't say, hey, I'm going to Europe and uh, we'll see you later. Uh, so I had to find an alternative way to, to make that happen. So uh, I started looking around and I found that there was this company called EF Tours as one of many that uh, set up student trips. Uh, and I also found out that we would be able to earn free spots if we uh, were able to recruit a certain number of people. So uh, once we decided we were going to do the trip and my wife agreed to uh, go along with the trip, uh, we started uh, trying to figure out where we were going to go. Uh, and obviously, we're looking for a place that is going to appeal to a lot of people. And who doesn't want to go to Paris, France? So uh, we made that our target. And then from there, we kind of figured out different itineraries that uh, might help us to uh, interest other people to go. And it turns out quite a few people were interested. We ended up taking 30 people besides my family of four uh, to France and then to Italy as well. Uh, and that was able to actually earn us four free spots. Uh, so my whole family got to go for free. And we had done such a good job of recruiting that they actually gave us $2,000 in spending money uh, for that first trip. So that was just, it was amazing. And we had a great time and knew we wanted to go back again. Awesome. So I have been on a couple of these trips, but what places in France have you been to specifically? Because it's not just Paris. We know you've been to, well, I know that you've been to other places. So I want to give us an idea of those exact places you've been to in France. Right. So most of these places I've only been to once, but I have had the good fortune of being to Paris five times, uh, which is amazing. Um, uh, you're going to find out that I don't really speak French, uh, just like the ladies don't speak Icelandic. Uh, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) we've been to uh, Chartres, uh, the Loire Valley to see a number of the chateaus, Uh, Giverny, which is uh, Monet's home where uh, the famous water lilies was painted. Uh, We've been to Nice and Cannes in the south, uh, St. Malo and Mont-Saint-Michel to the west and uh, Cannes, Omaha Beach, Juno Beach, and Rouen, uh, all in the north, all associated with the uh, D-Day invasions of Normandy, which obviously has a strong appeal to me. That's so awesome. Like most of my knowledge of France, I mean, other than like my high school European history class and things like that is from the TV show, Emily in Paris, (laughs) which I love. I know there's a lot of flack coming from it, but like you, you hear about things like the chateaus and all these places in Paris. So I'm so excited to dive deeper into these places that I so badly want to go. So can you give us a little bit of an overview of your experience? Like how long you were there for, where you stayed. Like we've talked a lot about Airbnb, hotel. What what were your experiences um, over in France? Yeah, so we, uh, our trips were typically about eight to 10 days, um, long enough to be able to experience some things, but uh, not too long for the students to get homesick and all that. Um, but really you need at least a week to, to go over by the time you get there, get settled in and everything. Uh, you'd want to have at least a week 
to be able to to go around and do some of the things that you want to do because you're even in that time not going to get to do half of what you want to do so um generally we ended up staying in hotels that catered to student groups um some were literally dorm like uh you know bunk beds and everything else uh while others were more traditional hotels but uh, when I say traditional hotels, not traditional in the sense of American hotels, um, certainly they, they in some ways look like American hotels, but uh, they didn't have all the amenities that we were used to in America. The rooms were usually very tiny, uh, you know, not much more than a bed uh, and obviously a bathroom as well. And in, in most of them, sometimes we had to share bathrooms, um, no air conditioning in most of them and uh, most of them didn't even have elevators because a lot of these are in buildings that are hundreds of years old and to retrofit them with some sort of an elevator just wasn't going to work. So there were numerous times that we were lugging luggage, three, four flights of stairs uh, just to get up to our rooms. So uh, still very nice, but not with all the uh, amenities that we're used to here in America with our hotels. Yeah. So speaking of like hotels and how things are different, I remember the first time we brought gigantic suitcases and we quickly realized this is not America and there's no elevator. So we were hauling these ginormous suitcases up these stairs. So just to insert a little of my own advice, bring a carry-on suitcase if you can, because you don't want to be lugging around a heavy suitcase um, up those stairs. So that brings us into the cultural aspect of this podcast. And how would you say that French culture uh, differs from the U.S. culture? I mean, obviously, French culture is much older than uh, U.S. culture. Um, and uh, they, they do really respect their past from what I've seen, uh, but they don't live in the past. They, they live in mostly in the present, somewhat in the future. Um, but they also tend to be much more laid back. Um, you know, if you're heading out to a cafe, usually in the United States, it's like, you know, let's get this done and, and on to the next thing. Uh, but in France, they, they would literally sit in their cafes for hours, you know, sipping their coffees and having their pastries and such. I always see like the stereotypical patio style cafe did you see those everywhere or is that just an in the movies sort of thing yeah no it's everywhere um and that's one thing that i was hoping that we would adopt more of here in the states once the pandemic hit um because you know in a lot of places cities uh small towns we really don't have much outdoor space um but in europe they they literally will block off half a street just so that they can have the outdoor space for the cafes and all that. They'll make them one-way streets or maybe just pedestrian streets uh, just so that they have those opportunities. And it's a, a great thing for the businesses because they don't have to have that square footage inside their business that they're paying for, for seating. Uh, but it's also wonderful for the people who want to you know, sit outside and enjoy the view of the street that they're on and you know, feel safe as well. Um, so yeah, that's definitely not just a stereotype. That's certainly the way it was in a lot of places we went. But speaking of some of these stereotypes, um, and there's a lot of them that are brought up in movies, particularly French um, attitudes towards other people, specifically Americans, but were there any stereotypes that we have in the United States that were debunked or corrected for you during your travels? 
Yeah, I mean, it was that exact stereotype that you talked about. I mean, before we went, all I heard about was how rude the French people were going to be. I still hear that. I, I found it to be just the opposite. The one tip that uh, I did receive was that uh, sometimes that's attributed to the fact that the Americans will walk into a store or whatever and just start speaking English and expect that the French are going to speak English to them. Uh, so one tip that I uh, heard early on was to at least try to engage in a little bit of French, no matter how poor your French is, and mine is very poor. Um, and that seemed to do the trick. I mean, you'd say bonjour, and immediately they'd be like, oh, this guy doesn't know any French. So they would switch over to English, which makes some sense, even if they didn't know that I was you know, an English-speaking uh, person. So many of the people around the world, that's their second or third language. So it makes sense for the, the people, especially in the tourist areas, to, to know English. Um, but like I said, we, we did not see anything uh, of that nature of rude people. I mean, obviously, you know, you can find a rude person here and there anywhere in the world. Um, but we did not see that. I think that's one of the big myths that, uh, you know, needs to be broken because, uh, I would hope it wouldn't hold anyone back from going to France because we've had nothing but great experiences with the people of France. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all about debunking the stereotypes here on this podcast, but we kind of have to talk about some stereotypes and the staples that are French food and the culture in France. What would you say are some of the staples and maybe there are stereotypes and maybe um, there are some that aren't so stereotypical. And then would you like to talk about some of your favorites? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, if you've ever seen a movie or anything about France, you see the pastry shops, you see, you know, the people carrying their loaves of French bread, and uh, their cheese as well. Now, maybe it's just because those are some of my favorites, but those are what stick out to me as as French food. But also, I mean, obviously, the French are known for their wines uh, as well. And uh, it's very regional, just like in many other parts of the world. Um, I, I wouldn't say there's necessarily a French cuisine. There's many French cuisines, depending on, you know, if you're close to the sea, if you're not close to the sea, uh, you know, they have many different regional variations on uh, their food and that. So we loved going to, uh, you know, an open air market and picking up some cheese and some bread and such and being able to just kind of use that as our lunch. We've done that a few different times. And it, I mean, it's it's very idyllic. Now, as far as getting to my favorite foods, I, I'm glad you asked me that I didn't have to pick just one. Uh, but uh, crepes of all variety uh, certainly are good. Chocolate-filled croissants, which I had never had before. Gelato, of course, even though we associate gelato with Italy. Uh, that we're Wherever we were, we were on a quest uh, for gelato. No matter what country we were in, we could find gelato somewhere in Europe. Uh, and then uh, a sandwich called a croque monsieur sandwich. And I'm not sure if it's just because of the fact that I was very hungry uh, when we were visiting the palace at Versailles, but I had my first croque monsieur outside of Versailles Palace and uh, I fell in love with the sandwich right away. It's basically a ham and cheese sandwich, but there's cheese on the inside uh, as well as bechamel sauce, a ham. And then on the outside, because there's not enough cheese, they just put more cheese on it. I'm dying over here. I am just so hungry talking about all of these things. I've tried some of them. Like I had a croque monsieur. Uh, my French also as good as my Icelandic. But I tried one at 
be our guest restaurant in Disney World. Shocking. And I agree. It was delicious. It seems so simple, but yet amazing. So, yeah. uh, oh, I could talk about food all day, but we do want to know a lot more about your experiences. So as you're a history teacher, what was it like to go to the places that you teach about in your classes or learned about in classes? Uh, it was such an amazing experience getting to experience it with my family and also with some of my students has been uh, really great. Even my students uh, who haven't been able to go on the trip, I feel have benefited from it because of my own firsthand knowledge of, of what's there. I mean, you go to the Hall of Mirrors where the Treaty of Versailles is signed to end World War One, and you can tell the students, you know, what an amazing place it is uh, to, to be there. So, uh, and all the different uh, treaties that have been signed. I mean, I, I always make a joke every year in my classes. It's like, oh, the leaders are off to Paris again to, to sign a treaty. It seemed like, you know, every war ended with a treaty in Paris. And I think it, uh, I don't think they started the wars to be able to go to Paris to have a treaty signing, but uh, it certainly seemed like they were always gung-ho to, to get to Paris to, to sign a treaty at some point. So, and being there, I know why they do it. I mean, I, I would love to go back uh, to Paris and anywhere in France, actually, uh, as soon as I get a chance to go. Yeah, so I think you already highlighted some of this um, with that past answer, but can you tell us a little bit about some of your favorite memories, maybe one specifically in Paris or all over France? Yeah, I mean, uh, there there's a long list I've got. Um, seeing the Eiffel Tower for the first time, I mean, having spent a whole lifetime of seeing the images you know, not only in history books, but in movies and TV shows and everything. I mean, I think that's one of the first things that people think about if they think about Paris. We went on a, a river tour um, on the Seine, and we didn't know it, but at 10 o'clock at night, they start to light the um, the Eiffel Tower on the hour, and sometimes it's different colors, uh, you know, trying to honor something. Uh, it twinkles. It's just, it's really an amazing sight to, to see, uh, both in the daytime and at night. Obviously going to the Louvre uh, Museum as well, seeing all the famous artworks. Uh, but one of the things that really shocked me was the first time we saw the Mona Lisa. I mean, the Mona Lisa is like obviously very famous artwork and you're expecting this big grand you know, painting and you get there and it's the tiniest little painting you've ever seen just about it. It was amazing how small it actually was. And you know, you can't get close because they've got so many people that are trying to see it all at the same time. Uh, so that was just, it was very interesting. Um, then, you know, Notre Dame Cathedral, uh, my heart just broke when I saw it on in flames a few years ago. It's just the fact that it might not exist anymore was just heartbreaking uh, to see that. But I'm so thankful that I got to go uh, before the restoration of it. I'm happy that they are restoring it and I can't wait to go and see it again. Uh, but I always loved, you know, usually right after we left Notre Dame, we had some free time and we would almost always head over to the left bank um, to head into the, the little area where there's little tiny streets, very narrow streets, but little shops. We'd grab a you know, a baguette sandwich and have our lunch there, whatever. Um, and I, I really always look forward to that. 
another experience taking the channel one of our trips most of our trips were not just to uh to france we did have one trip that was exclusively france but uh others included other countries as well uh we got to take the channel train uh from london to uh paris which was really cool to to be able to do that a uh, an engineering marvel and it was pretty neat to be able to experience that um the beaches of Normandy. I mean, a history teacher, how can you not love the beaches of Normandy? Uh, all the history there with D-Day, it's just, it's incredible. Um, you know, we, we spent time on the beach so you could look from the American perspective to uh, see what was, what was in front of them, which was sheer cliffs, uh, which was just seemed like it was impossible to, to break through. Uh, and then we see it from the German perspective. There's actually places where you can go and you can uh, see where the German pillboxes are, where they were, you know, hiding out and being able to shoot at the Americans from. And it, it just, it gave me a whole new appreciation. I mean, I already had a, a big appreciation, but it gave me a whole new appreciation of what these people were sacrificing. I mean, it, it was almost like there was no way you were going to possibly survive that attack but yet they did and helped turn the tide of world war ii so as a history teacher uh that certainly um was one of the highlights that is really cool like in all of these memories those are things you hold with you forever and i'm i'm so glad that we're sharing this with our listeners well for our listeners sake but also for mine i'm living very vicariously through this whole conversation <laughs> So you have a lot of amazing memories. Were there specific places that you would deem as your favorite places that you visited? Yeah, I mean, going back to the um, the Normandy area where the the D-Day invasions happened, a uh, place called Pointe de Hoc. That's where we uh, were looking out from the the German perspective in that, uh, and then we went to the Normandy American Cemetery. Uh, and you see all the white crosses just lined up perfectly, you know, no matter whatever angle you're looking at. And uh, it's maintained by the United States. We have um, battlefield cemeteries uh, all over Europe because of uh, the number of people that had died and were buried right there in Europe and never uh, actually came home. I would say any place in Paris uh, was another uh, favorite. I would go back to Paris any day. I have told people numerous times that uh, if I could live in Paris, I would love to live in Paris. It's just an amazing place uh, to be. But you know, I've hit on a couple of the Louvre and uh, the Eiffel Tower, Notre Dame. Uh, Sacre Coeur is another place. It's uh, Sacred Heart. Uh, it's actually where Plaster of Paris was actually first discovered. Uh, but it's just a really cool little place. Uh, there's a, a great little crepe place right at the bottom of it. Uh, and it's just a really nice place with great views. Um, I touched on Versailles, but the, the palace at Versailles is just incredible. Not only the palace itself, but the gardens as well. I will tell you, I, I don't know that there ever is an off time, but if there's ever an off time you can get to uh, Versailles, I would certainly recommend that. It, it's just an, a river of people, basically, is the best way to describe it. I mean, you you're trying to stop in one room and it's just like the river of people takes you and you just start going. And I mean, there's times that you're like, you don't, you can't even stop in a room. The, the flow of people is just so great that it's like, yep, that was that room. <laughs> and, and you just kind of go on <laughs> to the next one and, you know, maybe try to fight your way back, but it's like the salmon, you know, trying to swim upstream. It's not going to be very easy. 
there's a place on the west coast called uh, Mont Saint Michel, uh, which is a cool little place. Um, it's actually at high tide, it's an island. At low tide, it's not an island. Literally, the the roadway there gets covered over when there's a high tide. So at times, um, but it says it basically looks like it's floating out there in the sea. It's a really cool little place. You walk out there, and uh, it's there's an abbey up on the top of the hill. And there's stores and all that. And a few people live there and you just kind of wind your way around and there's a bunch of shops and all that. And uh, it's just a really neat little place to, to go. Something I, you know, hadn't experienced anywhere else. Those are some of my favorite places to go, but really you, you can't go wrong any place in France. I haven't found a place there that I did not like. Um, since you've been multiple times in, uh, what do you wish you had known before making any of your trips to France? how to speak French. <laughs> that, that would definitely be helpful. Although, like I said, you know, the French people were uh, much more fluent in English than I was in, Fran- in French. Um, you know, j- just knowing more of it, I, I, when they got down to nitty gritty details and all that, we would allow the um, tour director to, to take care of those types of things. But when we're out during the day and that, trying to order food, trying to buy something in the store, my little English French guidebook took me quite a ways, but, you know, they, they seem to appreciate the try, even if I wasn't very good at it, they appreciated that I tried it. And yeah, you don't want to get the ugly American stereotype, which is us going over and thinking that they should all bend to our will and speak our language and, and all that. So yeah, you want to have at least a few key phrases in, even if you butcher them, even if you can't say them very well, uh, at least you're, you're trying and they appreciate that. Awesome. So that about wraps up our interview here. Um, Thank you, Todd, for joining us. We appreciate all of your insight and we hope our listeners did as well. Thanks for tuning in to the Wanderlusting Wives podcast. Come escape with us again every other Tuesday. Give us a subscribe and a follow on all of our social media and wherever you listen to your podcasts. And until we chat next time, wander on.